0: Welcome to the Someone Somewhere podcast. It's Tuesday, December 19th, and I'm your host, Nicole. This is episode 13. When I started charting my menstrual cycle and I learned that one of the three basic fertility signs is cervical fluid, I felt a little betrayed. Up until that point, I had only known what we call vaginal discharges, and I only knew that it was a normal occurrence and what abnormal was supposed to look or feel like um and that that was supposed to represent an infection but to put myself in the mindset from before i was charting i went and googled vaginal discharge and one of the links i found was from a health website interviewing a gynecologist and you know she mentions that normal discharge is healthy and something you would expect to have every day You'll typically notice a clear whitish discharge without any foul odor. You might have a little bit every day or nothing on some days and a lot on other days. Basically, there is a wide range of what is normal, but it is important to know what is normal for your body. So after reading that, again, it pretty much tells me nothing, and it's also a good descriptor of about how much I knew before I started fertility awareness charting. But there is the cultural understanding of cervical fluid or discharge and when it's appropriate. And the patriarchal understanding of vaginal fluids seems to revolve around a man's ability to make a woman wet. And the logical conclusion of that is that she would be available for sex. And so there might be be truth to there being vaginal secretions during sexual arousal or during foreplay, but the pattern of cervical fluid and vaginal sensation is the normal revolution of the menstrual cycle and not dictated by any relationship or proximity to men. The idea that we should always be wet is also completely fictitious and derived from an inherent lack in understanding of how the menstrual cycle functions. So there's also that whole thing that really has me interested in the way that people view vaginal fluid. (laughs) So charting definitely gets you educated on the fact that there is this pattern and that wasn't something that was revealed to me before and it was very much a revelation when it was revealed because cervical fluid can be observed on that clear monthly pattern and abnormalities in that pattern may exist for someone, but those indicate health or reproductive issues. So in most everyone that has this set of reproductive genitalia, this is what you're working with, um, and these rules can apply pretty widely. So I wanted to become more deeply educated on cervical fluid, understand how it's produced and what triggers it, and how that impacts my charting and making good, healthy, informed decisions regarding fertility and what I choose to do with mine every month. So in this podcast, I may use cervical fluid and cervical mucus interchangeably. And I was thinking about it, it's really a matter of semantics. I'd consider it more like fluid during the fertile phase, but more like a mucus during the infertile phase. And I notice in the literature, it's pretty split. But the first thing, of course, is that we don't even call it cervical fluid or mucus. We call it vaginal discharge. So it really takes the cervix out of it, and it sort of demeans the cervix and says, hey, the cervix isn't important to understanding this process. And now that I do understand the process, I'm like, no, we're going to talk about the cervix. So that's what this podcast is about. Cervix comes from the Latin word meaning neck, so it really reads the neck of the uterus and the cervix is located between the isthmus gland considered a part of the uterus and the vagina. So often the diagram that we see of a cervix depicts it as a narrow opening with a smooth texture and to me this obscures the fact that the cervix contains several hundred crypts and these crypts are glands that are lined with cells which make different kinds of cervical mucus. And that mucus is excreted into the cervical canal and below into the vagina, eventually reaching the vulva on your most fertile days. The changes in cervical mucus are indications of a person's fertility as they're triggered by the hormones corresponding with the different points in the cycle. So when you take a look at a hormone chart in a typical menstrual cycle, you can understand that there's a link between body temperature and progesterone. If you follow the line of progesterone, it will look very similar to if you took your waking temperature every day during a normal cycle. It would be low at the beginning half and in the later half it would rise and it would stay high until the beginning of the next cycle. So in the same way that you can observe that with waking temperature, there's a link between estrogen and fertile quality fluid. So you see that as your estrogen level is rising, you'll start to see a change in your cervical fluid and the, the quality and the texture and the feeling of it being excreted. All of these cervical crypts are located in different parts of the cervix. The mucus crypt that's most important for stopping sperm is located at the bottom part of the cervix, like the entrance you could think of it as, and the fluids needed to help move sperm to fertilize an egg are located more towards the middle and top parts of the cervix. So these crypts provide temporary shelter for sperm during the fertile phase as they journey up beyond. The cervix has four main types of crypts that are denoted by a letter, G, L, S, and P, and each of these produces a different kind of mucus that is important to the reproductive function and also have an importance for daily understanding of whether or not you're fertile or infertile. The main components of cervical mucus produced by these secreting glands contains mucus molecules water and other chemical compounds such as enzymes and proteins. There are also pockets in the vagina, which is also very revolutionary because I love pockets, but (laughs) I digress. Pockets of Shaw are located at the bottom of your vaginal recess and they are there to help absorb water and contribute to the way a person may experience vaginal sensations. So, during the fertile phase, the vaginal shaw stops absorbing as much as it was, and this is what contributes to you being able to feel an exterior vulva wet sensation during that time. So, that's a lot to take in, of course. Um, Just that there's this really complex system of things going on, and I just feel like sex education just did not get into this, and possibly even higher education because I'm astounded at how little people working in the field necessarily know about this even though there are a few people who have been very instrumental in spreading this information after doing the research. Now that I understand that there are four different types of fluid, three of which are involved during the fertile window, and the other which is what causes the plug. Then you have the vaginal shaw which helps regulate the amount of wet sensation that you feel throughout the month. So the days that you are dry, it's not that the inside of your vagina is dry, it's that your vaginal shaw is doing a good job of collecting it before it would be exiting you. So, It's a pretty amazing little cycle going on in there, keeping you healthy and producing good white blood cells and and everything being in balance. The cervical crypts produce four different types of mucus, so I'm quickly going to describe the four of them because they actually look different and feel different and are made of different things. First would be the G mucus, and it has a high viscosity, meaning it's very thick and it forms an impenetrable plug, meaning sperm cannot get through physically. It has no crystallization under a microscope, and instead it looks like lots of dots, lots of little cells. The nuclei of the cells can be seen, and it's part of the immune system. So these cells are mostly white blood cells, and they protect the reproductive system from infection. It also closes the cervix for most of the cycle, so the sperm just cannot enter, and that ensures infertility during those times. The G-crips are located in the lowest part of the cervix, so that is where the plug is formed from. The second mucus is L-mucus, and this is a medium viscosity, a fluid that comes from the middle crypts in the length of the cervical canal. When it dries under a microscope it forms crystals in a fern-like pattern so it looks like leaves that are protruding off of a main stem but at 90 degree angles. The purpose of L mucus, what it is observed as doing, is it attracts malformed sperm or slow movers and it stops them from continuing their journey. So it has a specific function different from the g mucus and i just think there's something so amazing about that that we have a particular crypt in our cervix that's giving off these fluids that are made to protect us and make sure that we have the healthiest pregnancy it would work on filtering out sperm that were not as healthy so we have all these natural barriers, it's really an amazing thing. The third fluid is the S fluid, and it has a low viscosity, so it's very slippery. It comes from the upper crypts of the cervix, and under a microscope it appears as parallel vertical needles. So sperm can move rapidly along the vaginal canal and reach the S crypts themselves in 3 to 10 minutes, which is really quite fast and it provides both nourishment and channels for its sperm transport and this is what produces the wet lubricative sensation at the vulva or a wet circle in the underwear during fertile window time. And the fourth mucus would be the pea mucus and it's produced at the uppermost crypts of the cervix and it's nicknamed P pea for peak. It mixes with an enzyme excreted from the isthmus, which causes it to dissolve thicker mucus and also dissolves the S mucus. So it has this dissolving factor to all the other mucus going on at that time and it causes the lubricative sensation around your peak day. That's why your vulva feels so slippery on that day is because P mucus is dissolving all the other mucus and everything's loosening up and that's considered your most fertile day and it appears hexagonal under a microscope it has like this onion look to it and i think it had been it had been photographed as early as 1948 and i'm a photographer so that's also very interesting the history of scientific photography i could definitely learn more about that some other history about the early work around cervical fluid is that, well, first, that the cervix was documented anatomically over 2,000 years ago by Hippocrates, and people have understood through through midwifery and childbirth that the cervix is the entrance to life, and it's a, a powerful, definitely understood as a powerful thing for a really long time across many cultures. But the work uh, around cervical fluid as an indicator of fertility was mainly done by two Australian scientists, John and Evelyn Billings, who in 1968 identified that there were at least two different viscosities of fluid, and they continued their research into the 70s, worked with other researchers, conducted several studies, and had continued to find other kinds of fluid and understand what exactly that fluid did whether it was aiding in sperm survival or not and then in 1972 the World Health Organization released a paper about cervical mucus and human reproduction where they drew off of the scientists work and confirmed that it was in fact an indicator of fertility and these researchers went on into the 90s, studying all different things, including you know how fast sperm could reach the cervix, and their work is really interesting, so um, I would definitely take a look at it. It has been studied in many other countries, I think more than it has been studied in the United States, and that has its own reasonings. Now that we understand the basic biology and the functions of what's going on, I wanted to talk about fertility awareness and charting your mucus pattern and understanding how this is connected to your hormones and what's triggering everything, and also how to manage your fertility by reading the signs themselves. Because this, I feel like, is something, in terms of the three signs, the chart is like, it's a chart. Hello, we got it. The... Mucus is different for everybody. Everybody has their own pattern. So talking about textures and sights and the way that it feels in your fingers and the way that it feels falling out of you, it's all like, it really is individualized. And we have to talk about the commonalities and also the differences in our experiences of this. So it's definitely a little harder to read. So I thought talking about it in terms of understanding what exactly is going on with the mucus and the crypts and the differences is helpful for demasking exactly what is going on. So at six days before what you would call your peak day of ovulation, your estrogen levels are low. Your cervix is narrow and it's closed because there's a presence of G mucus at that time. Sperm are kept out of the vagina And survival time is short because the vagina has these white blood cells that are just murking all the sperm. So you feel dry or a very slight discharge, which you would mark in your chart. And this is what you would call a basic infertile pattern. It means as you come off of bleeding, in the days or weeks after that, you're going to be looking for a change in fluid. So, depending on the health of the person, this could be a few days or it could be a longer time. The follicular phase, the first half of the menstrual cycle, is very variable depending on whether someone has PCOS or if they're going through period of stress or if they are taking other medications. There's a whole host of reasons. So, When you're paying attention to fluid, you want to pay attention to how long you are dry before you become wet at the vulva. At five days before peak day is when estrogen begins to rise. And this is also called the point of change or where your fertility begins. The P mucus from the upper crypts liquefies the thick G mucus that has been plugged up and mixed with some L mucus, it starts to leave the cervix sperm can now enter. The vulva is no longer dry. This is where you might start to see that thicker mucus in your underwear. Days four to day one before peak day is where you really start to see this transition. So L mucus, which corresponds to a slight rise in estrogen And then S-mucus, which is responding to a really high increased rise in estrogen. And that's what's making the vulva really lubricative. And the mucus observed is very wet during your fertile window. So you may see what a lot of fertility books call the strings of stretchy mucus. That raw egg white that you see maybe in the fertility apps is referring to this Stringy mucus that can be picked up in the hand and observed and stretch one inch between the fingers. So you can also maybe see it while you're urinating. It may fall out of you and it's not soluble in water. So you would be able to see it almost like a marble or a string with a heavy blob on the end um, that's not dissolving in the water. This cervical fluid indicates fertility. And as described before, the P mucus appears again on the peak day, which will dissolve the L and S mucus and again leave a really slippery sensation at the vulva. So all of these sensations indicate the height of fertility whether you're observing the stretchy fluid or you're observing the super slippery fluid. If you're observing the fluid and a few days ago you were completely dry, what I'm telling you is that you're fertile at that time. (laughs) And it's a pretty interesting thing to know the science behind it, that there are these different crypts that are interacting with your body and with you and that you've always experienced. I find it to be super fascinating. So peak day itself is when the estrogen begins to drop. So it goes through this really rapid rise and then it comes back down. And these conditions are favorable for the fastest and most high-quality sperm. So progesterone begins to rise, the vulva is slippery, and this is the most fertile that you'll be for the entire cycle. And this determination can be made the following day when you should feel the drying up. You should recognize a change in the vaginal sensation and this is again where you want to be marking in your chart. So during the fertile time you have to pay attention to how it feels and write that down and when you feel the change is when you can identify that the days previous and the day previous itself would be your peak day that you just had Fertile quality cervical fluid. And fertility is occurring on a cycle. So everything is constantly in transition. Think seasons, think lunar events. Things are on a cycle and they're going around. It's the same way. So it's not like you turn a switch on and off I'm fertile or I'm infertile. Over the next three days beyond your peak day is when your G mucus will begin to reform in the lower crypts. So your fertility will begin to wane. The channels in your fluid for the sperm transport are diminished in number over these three days. But of course understand that ovulation may occur one to two days beyond your peak observation day and this is where other biomarkers like the temperature are important because you can get more information and overlap these signs but the egg or eggs may live up to 24 hours so you can be considered fertile up to the fourth day beyond peak day the vulva would be dry or sticky during the this change you know after peak day the 3 days beyond you should stop feeling lubricative sensation entirely and this is because of rising progesterone And also those pockets of shaw at the lower end of the vagina, which absorb the moisture before it even reaches the vulva. So your mucus plug is beginning to form up again, and your vaginal shaw is starting to reabsorb water. And you can still consider these three days beyond the peak observation day of fluid to be fertile days. Again, with combining methods, the basal body temperature can t- tell you a lot about whether you have ovulated, um, but mucus can tell you when you are fertile in the moment, like right then and there, how you're, how you're doing. The fourth day beyond peak day to the following menstruation, A person would be considered infertile during that time because the cervix is closed by the presence of the G mucus. So this is what a typical cervical fluid cycle, this is the other three-fourths of the menstrual cycle that nobody talks about. But there's a whole cycle of fluid that's going on during the rest of it too. And that's the basic pattern as you are charting in terms of fertility. So when you're infertile, you're really infertile, and you're really infertile for most of the time. So one way that we can check our cervical fluid easily is through external checks without having to be invasive to the body in any way. And so you can make those checks at the vulva through either wiping towards your perineum and checking your tissue and observing what is on it, or lack thereof, or observing your underwear, or doing both and marking in your charts some sort of tagging system where you're tagging whether you're wet or dry, and whether it's solid like white strips in your underwear, or wet like a circle in your underwear, or observing the tissue and seeing the egg white fluid, being able to pick it up right off of the tissue and let it stretch in your fingers. Those are all external cervical fluid checks that can be done relatively easily. There's also the external check that is intuition. So if you're walking around and you can feel it coming out of you, even though you might not be able to stick your hand in your pants and observe it, you are observing it. So mark that down that you felt that sensation. There's also internal checks. So that would mean inserting your fingers into the vagina, feeling around for the cervix, and feeling with two fingers, sort of scooping out the cervical mucus at the cervix. And I just did this recently. It It is there sort of before it falls, after you've been sleeping. If you do it towards the morning before you've like really stood up, it's right at the entrance and you can grab it and pick it up and look at it. So the last thing that I wanna talk about is coming off of the pill and what that means for cervical fluid because the research didn't make me feel good. It didn't make me feel good. So I'm just gonna share with you what I found. It may be harder for people who are transitioning off of the pill to identify their mucus pattern, and that could be for a variety of reasons. The pill and or other types of birth control devices that are invasive, because there are many different kinds at this point, they all have the potential to damage the crypts that produce fertile quality cervical fluid. For most people over time, these crypts will recover and begin to experience the full cervical fluid pattern again. But I have read some doctors that believe that it could have lasting or permanent effects depending on which device was used and for how long. Another thing that's noted in the research is that wet and slippery sensations are much shorter for women that are approaching menopause and also women who have had a long history of pill use. So women coming off the pill may have confusing cervical fluid patterns for an extended period of time, and what we would hope through maybe herbalism or lifestyle changes or diet or meditation or a combination of these things, you could work to heal yourself and do other restorative practices. Um, but that is definitely something that has a real and lasting effect on fertility because cervical fluid is very important when you do want to become pregnant. So unless you are consenting to understanding that it may permanently atrophy these crypts that produce cervical fluid that is of good quality, I think it's something to definitely consider. Another thing that is noted in the research is the role of the vagina in the process of fertility. History of pill use during adolescence can contribute to the maturation of the pockets of shaw being atrophied. So there may be functionalities associated with the pockets of shaw in an adult person that are not working as well as they should be because they have been affected by this use early on. Complications arising from the use of the pill are frequent Infertility after its use for 7 to 15 years is considered a serious problem. So, S Crips, which are also nicknamed because they are sperm transferal Crips, they're very sensitive to normal and cyclical stimulation by natural estrogens. And the pill, which is a xenoestrogen, causes atrophy of these Crips. So fertility is impaired since the movement of sperm cells up the canal is reduced, and treatment for this is considered to be difficult. Interestingly, the research also indicates that pregnancy rejuvenates the cervix. It could even rejuvenate the cervix by two to three years, meaning that if you have a healthy pregnancy, your cervix sort of rejuvenates in time. For each year, the pill is taken, the cervix can be seen as aging by an extra year, so two times as fast. Furthermore, the research indicates that if someone takes the pill for 10 to 15 years and then ceases taking it in order to achieve pregnancy, they may encounter some difficulties. Studies have indicated that the number of s crypts are very few after long-term pill use, and the cervical canal is also very narrow. In regards to the use of IUDs as a form of contraception and how they interact with the cervix, the main issue is that they could impinge into a cervical wall crypt and gradually be forced through the wall, entering the vagina, and many times this is what results in the method failure of the IUD and causes an unintended pregnancy. Much less commonly, but has been reported as well is an IUD puncturing the body and actually causing a fistula. So regardless of whatever person's choice in birth control, whether it's a device or a pharmaceutical or choosing to use fertility awareness, I do think it's really important that we understand that the cervix is an active organ. Its regulation is very precise. Um, All of the crypts and what their specific functions are, you can tell that this is actually a very complex process that is very obscured from us who have these reproductive organs. We are not This is not ever explained to us. For instance, we don't even talk about the fluid as where it comes from. We just call it vaginal discharge because it's this discharge that is secreted seemingly from the vagina, but again, it's not secreted from the vagina. It moves through the vagina, but it's secreted from the cervix. And things like that where it's just... The education is just far enough to obscure us from what we know about ourselves, literally through observation. This is the process of charting cervical fluid is a process of observation, daily diagnostics, and anyone can learn that, and you don't need to read a book to learn that. That's information that I can orally disseminate to you, and that's basically what I'm trying to do here is to just bring awareness to the fact that the cervix is really what's running the show as far as fertility. And I find that highly ironic because we constantly talk about ejaculate and semen, and it's considered the end of the sexual process under patriarchy. And it is really, if you look at TV and movies, it's depicted as the central goal of the process of sex is to produce the outcome of ejaculate. But of course, fertility cannot happen without cervical fluid, and cervical fluid has to be at the right moment in order for fertility to take place. Otherwise, the ejaculate literally just gets eaten up by white blood cells and it's useless, so it just goes to show that on the one hand we know all about semen, ejaculate, it's part of our culture, it's considered the mainstay of what it is to have sex, and then you have cervical fluid which is called vaginal discharge, it's this discharge, some people get it, some people don't, it has no pattern, it's completely random, figure it out, and that's a cultural process, so I think that if we're going to demystify periods and we're going to talk positively about periods, it makes perfect sense to also talk positively about cervical fluid and to name it for what it is and call it what it is and be true to the cervix itself. And similarly, I just hate the word discharge. It just sounds like it's not supposed to be coming out of me. Something about the word itself having such a deep negative connotation discharge. Like, discharge doesn't sound sexy. Discharge doesn't sound like something that I want coming out of me. Like, I mean, that's why we kind of nicknamed it cum, because who wants to be like, oh, baby, my discharge. Like, discharge just sounds super clinical and gross. Like, and I, I suppose mucus could have that effect too, so maybe not. But cervical fluid, to me, at least is true to form. Whereas discharge seems like this thing that happens to you, not this thing that you are in control of or in charge of. And I would rather shift to the latter way of thinking. And the last point I want to make about the cervix is that we can't consent to what we don't know. In my opinion, if we aren't being educated properly about how our bodies work or how our partner's bodies work, then we aren't able to make informed choices about our fertility and whether you want to activate that part of your life or not. The whole point of fertility awareness is to like maximize the autonomy and the choices that you get to make as a person that experiences a fertile life. I hope this was able to educate you about how special the cervix is and also how active it is. I didn't even get into how it moves or how it really opens or closes because there just isn't, simply isn't enough time. I only got to talk about the fluid, but I hope that it definitely clarified how active the cervix is and how important it is to menstrual health. And of course, if you do want to activate your fertility at any time, it's absolutely the most important thing that you have to have to make sure it goes well. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, share it with someone. This concludes episode 13 of the Someone Somewhere podcast. Be well.